Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Flight Deck. This is an inside look at the New York Jets. My name is Rich Salini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I had a fantastic time on Thursday and Saturday with family on both days. And in between, I covered the Black Friday debacle at MetLife Stadium, where the Jets were impersonating an NFL team and lost to the Miami Dolphins 34-13, essentially losing it on the fail Mary pick six at the end of the first half, a play that will go down in Jet infamy. Uh, In the second segment of this podcast, we're going to welcome in our guest this week. It's former Jets offensive lineman Damian Woody. And I wanted to get Damian on because, you know, he's an expert on offensive line play, having played the position for over a decade in the NFL. And also the Jets are going some through some serious offensive line issues. And also Damian had an Achilles injury, an Achilles tear at the end of his career. Obviously, that is a pressing issue for the Jets with a certain number eight at quarterback going through the Achilles issue right now. So want to talk to Damian about that as well and also want to reminisce with, with him about some of those dominant offensive lines of 2009 and 2010. Boy, those were good, good times when you never had to worry about which offensive line was going to show up on Sunday. But let's start with Rodgers. He's in the news, as always. He's he's 11 weeks removed from his Achilles surgery. He's back at the team facility on a full-time basis. He's rehabbing under the supervision of the Jets training staff, which is in constant communication with Rogers' doctor out on the left coast, Neil Elitrash. So the drama is building. We're getting close to the time where he could return to practice. Outside chance this week, more likely next week, And from what I've been told and others have reported, I think he'd like to return to play on December 24th against the Washington Commanders. Uh, I talked to people in the medical field, and they're stunned that this is even a conversation. It takes three months normally for the tendon just to heal. And then you have to start the muscle-building rehab, which could be another few months. Rogers could be practicing at the three-month mark and playing at the three-and-a-half-month mark. This week, I was talking to one renowned orthopedist, and he told me, and I quote, he's bleeping crazy. (laughs) That's what he said about Rodgers wanting to play. Now, on Tuesday on the McAfee Show, Rodgers said two factors. One, am I healthy enough? Two, is the team still in playoff contention? Well, going to be tough to stay into playoff contention at four and at four and seven and I agree with the orthopedist uh I don't think there's any upside to him playing the Jets have less than a one percent chance of making the playoffs they're 15th out of 16 teams in the AFC 
This is a team that has to struggle to get across midfield, let alone win football games. And even their vaunted defense has slipped the last two games. There is no reason to rush Aaron Rodgers back into the lineup. Could it help him win a game or two? Sure. Could it help make his BFF, Nathaniel Hackett, look like a competent offensive coordinator? Well, as crazy as that might seem, sure. Assuming the rust doesn't hold Rodgers back, but do you really want to put him behind this offensive line? They've allowed 47 sacks, which is 30th in the league. Their pass block win rate, which is one of our favorite ESPN metrics, is 27th in the league. Their metric is 50%. Like a really good team, like the Kansas City Chiefs, they're up in the high 70s. They're first in the league. The Jets are at 50%. That is not a percentage that I want to be taking a chance with, with my 40-year-old franchise quarterback. Now, I'm sure Rodgers feels guilty. You know, he got hurt. The Jets are in a bad way. Personal guilt, understandable. But the Jets need to sit him down and just say, hey, look, Aaron, thank you for busting your butt. Your tenacity is inspiring us. But let's take a mulligan on this season and come back strong in 24. Now, if Rodgers refuses to hear that rationale, then he's putting his self-interest above the team's interest. Hopefully, cooler heads will prevail in the end. Um, Look, the Jets have made many, many questionable decisions over the years, decades, half century. Playing Rodgers would be at the top of the list. Now, could you imagine if something happened? Talking to this orthopedist, it's not so much that he could rupture it again, but it's putting him vulnerable to other injuries. And he might not be able to protect himself. What if a pass rusher falls on the back of his leg? You know, fluky things do happen. There's a 100% injury rate in the NFL. I think the next two weeks will tell the entire story. The Jets have to play the Falcons, who are 5-6, and six, and the Texans, who are 6-5. and five. Now, on the surface, you would say those are winnable games. If the Jets win both, they're 6-7. and seven. Still a long shot going to Miami where they'd be a heavy underdog. And if for some reason they got back to 7-7, and I say then you survey the landscape and reassess the Robert Rogers situation. But even then, I would err on the side of caution, but at least give it some consideration. But let's be honest. Does anybody think they can win three straight games with the way their offense is playing? Tim Boyle. Let's talk about him. He started... For the bench to Zach Wilson, and it was predictable. He looked like a rusty third-string journeyman quarterback who had more interceptions than touchdowns in college. Good guy, smart guy, but he was overwhelmed uh, last Friday behind the Jets' offensive line, which featured more turnstiles than a Manhattan subway station. There was one play. I went back and watched the All-22 one play. (laughs) Boyle was running for his life. And he actually turned around and looked over his shoulder to see if the defender was gaining on him. That's not something you often see in an NFL game. Your eyes are supposed to be downfield. But maybe he was just so shell-shocked at that point he wanted to avoid another hit. But he is starting again. Robert Sala saying that uh, Boyle will start against Atlanta. I have a feeling they'll go to Trevor Simeon at some point although that is clearly not one of their preferences. Hey, we may even see Zach Wilson again simply by default. You know, this is one of those Murphy's Law kind of years, so nothing can be ruled out. 
Look, losing a starting quarterback is a tough deal in the NFL. I did some research on this, and not counting the Jets situation, teams that have started backup quarterbacks this year, they're 18-32 and 32 with their backup quarterback, averaging 18.3 points per game. Only two backup quarterbacks have a winning record as starters. Gardner Minshew, 4-3 and three with the Colts. And Tommy Cutlets, yeah, that's right, Tommy DeVito, 2-1 and one with the Giants. The Jets, overall, 3-7 and seven with their backup quarterbacks. That's a 300 winning percentage, which is slightly below the league average. And they're averaging only 13 points a game, which is five below the league average. So... I, I use a car analogy. So when you got your backup quarterback, you're going to experience some hesitation and you're not going to be able to reach your usual speed. The Jets have just stalled out. Not, not even losing speed, just stopped, like right in the middle of an intersection. So you can blame the injuries. You can blame some of it on Nathaniel Hackett. I think you can blame a lot of it on Nathaniel Hackett, to be quite honest. They're so predictable on first down. Their conservative passing in the Miami game, other than the fail Mary, Boyle didn't attempt to pass over 10 yards until the fourth quarter. And here's the biggest indictment of Nathaniel Hackett. Russell Wilson. Look how much he has improved this year in Denver compared to the way he performed last year with Nathaniel Hackett as his head coach. Russell's completion percentage has gone from 60 to 68. His QBR has gone from 39 to 55. Last year, he was 27th in QBR. Right now, he's 16th. Denver averaged 17 points a game last year. They're up to 22. Basically, the same cast of characters, different coaching. Sean Payton's doing a really good job after a bad start. Heck, the Jets even beat him. Since then, they've turned it around. I think that right there is the biggest indictment of Nathaniel Hackett. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd like to welcome in our guest, Damian Woody, an old friend of Flight Deck. He is a former Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots and a member of the Jets playoff teams in 2009 and 2010. Damian, thank you so much for taking the time. No, thank you for having me on, Rich. Glad to be here. Yeah, I know you You still watch the Jets. You're still a Jet fan. You know, you want the team to do well. So what's it been like watching these last few weeks, just with this offense, you're an offensive guy. You played the offensive line your entire career. What's it like watching this offense these days? Uh, it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating, Rich. I mean, listen, it's, um, you know, there's so many things going on on so many different levels with this offense. And, and Rich, if you think about it, we're in an offensive league where all the rules are slanted towards the offense and doing well. And here we are with the Jets, and you're just talking about uh, an offense that has just been, I don't even know the right word to use for it. It's just been dysfunctional, awful. Um, 
pretty much all season long, but especially over the over the past few weeks where they just struggled to even score a touchdown, which is mind-boggling to me. I mean, 10 touchdowns in 11 games is just, like you said, it's just something you would see maybe out of the 1950s or something, but not in the, in the modern the modern NFL. How much do you think, like, there, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of people blaming people. Uh, how much of it is the Rodgers injury? How much of it is the injuries to the offensive line? How much of it is, you know, Hackett's play calling? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, clearly things were made towards Rodgers, you know, being the quarterback. But, Rich, I think this thing is beyond that um, because even, you know, we've seen other teams where their starters went down and they were actually functional uh, on offense. This is we're, – we're well past, you know, being dysfunctional as far as this Jets offense is concerned. And that's why, for me, I just look at a lot of different things as relates to this offense. I look at the play caller. Um, Nathaniel Hackett and the question I have is this you know with Nathaniel Hackett as a, as a primary play caller how many how many times throughout his career has he's been a guy that's thrived you know as a play caller in his career I mean you have to look at his body of work whether I know one year um, you know was in Jacksonville I believe they went to the AFC championship game um, but outside of that you know it's, you'd be hard pressed to find Nathaniel have body of work from Nathaniel Hackett that, that shows that this guy is a competent and capable offensive coordinator. Now, I know everyone wants to point to his time with Aaron Rodgers, but if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't the primary play caller in Green Bay. That was Matt LaFleur. So, right. you know, you know, you just, it, it, you know, I, I just look at this thing as, you know, the play calling has been, um, has been um, suspect at best with Nathaniel Hackett. And then obviously I think the issue number two is the offensive line and, all of the injuries that's been going on up front. If you if you can't if you can't have you know five guys playing together, chances are, man, it's just not going to be a great unit up front. And we know all the injuries that the Jets have sustained on the offensive line. You are the perfect guy to ask this question to because on the question of offensive line continuity, in 2009, the Jets had arguably the best offensive line they ever had. You had uh, Ferguson. Seneca, who's now in the Hall of Fame, Mangold, Moore, and you at right tackle. You guys started every game that year, which is rare. You had five guys starting 16 games, and you guys rushed for 2,700 yards that year. That is just mind-boggling how many yards you guys rushed for. You absolutely controlled the point of attack every week. Damian, how important... Was that continuity in your success? And, I mean, is it is it a big factor on why the line is a mess right now? Um, Rich, it's hugely important. I always talk about, you know, offensive office line play, continuity and chemistry, okay? That's just, you know, it's paramount when you, talk, when you talk about some of the elite offensive lines that we have around the National Football League is, you know, a lot of those guys are playing together week in and week out. And we had, you know, we had very talented players on the offensive line. We played together, and we were we were coached by one of the best offensive line coaches in the National Football League, and Bill Callahan, who's you know the offensive line coach with the Cleveland Browns now. So when you combine all those three things, I think that led to us, you know, being a being the unit that we were. And I think it was really important for us as a unit, Rich, that we wanted to make sure that we were available every week. You know, there were guys that were injured and hurting and stuff like that, but 
we wanted to make sure that we were out there because it was it was that important to us. And I know that injuries are part of the game and things happen, but um, you know, we were really uh we were really fortunate and we and I think a lot of guys really took it upon themselves to be available every week. And that was such a fun group for me to cover because you guys were so talented and it was such a smart group. You know, it's like you guys week after week. Uh, what was it like? Let's just talk about each of those guys. If you could give me like the first thing that pops into your head, like give me a sentence or two on each guy. I just want to go through each guy just to have a little fun here. Like, all right, the Brick of Shaw Ferguson left tackle. What's the first thing that pops into your head when you think of Brick? Man, long athlete. I mean, this did, you know, anyone who saw Brick, man, it was, you know, not only was he, you know, very, very intelligent, but the guy was so long, such a great athlete, great feet. Um, he could just mirror with anyone. Uh, he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but with his length and his athleticism, you know, he was kind of like the the tip of the prototype uh, left tackle that you wanted in the National Football League. And left guard, you had Alan Fallica, now residing in Canton, Ohio, as a member of the Hall of Fame. Uh, man, I would say technician and tough. Alan brought a, a level of, of professionalism and toughness uh, to our group. And, you know, just his relentless pursuit of excellence as far as his technique was concerned. Everything had to be precise. And, um, you know, he was a guy that really led the way and then elevated our, 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 you know, our play up front, man. So, you know, when you talk about Hall of Famer, that's Alan Fanica. Okay, the man in the middle, Nick Mangold. Maybe the smartest guy I've ever been around. You know, <laughs> Nick was the brains of the operation. I mean, this dude put us in so many great situations as far as changing protections and putting us in the right spots. You know, he he was the he was the engine to the whole thing. And so, you know, without Nick in there, man, we were we wouldn't have been the, the group that that we were back in 09 and in 2010. Um, at right guard, you had Brandon Moore. Brandon Moore, maybe the toughest person. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a former defensive lineman who converted to offensive line and did it the long, hard way. I believe he was an undrafted guy as well. And so this is a guy that literally worked his way up and became one of the best guards in the National Football League. So when you talk about tough, you got to put Brandon – Brandon Moore's face should be right there besides toughness. How about that guy at right tackle, Damian Woody? He did pretty well for himself, too. <laughs> <laughs> he did okay, man. He did okay. I would say uh, versatile. Versatile, man. Versatile and good athlete. You know, I was uh, I was blessed to have some really good attributes about myself. Very good feet. You know, I had, you know, pretty good athlete. And could play multiple positions. I, that goes back to my time in New England when Coach Belichick used to say the more the more you could do, the more valuable you you will become, and that was absolutely the case. I, you know, started my career at center, then I went to started to play guard, and then I finished my career at tackle. That doesn't usually work that way. Usually, you work outside in, but I worked inside out. So I would say versatility. That's extraordinary for someone to play center and tackle. It's just you just don't see that. I mean, we've seen Elijah Vera Tucker play everywhere but center but you you played everywhere and center i mean that was that your natural position center like coming out of bc is that was that 
And then you expanded. That was it. Yeah. That was well, it. That was they, it. That was it coming out of BC. I was the first. When I got drafted back in 1999, the first round, I was the first first round center um, in a decade um, at that time. So, um, yeah, I started off as a center and then I just progressed my way out. Now, back in 09, you guys, contrary to popular belief, I mean, that team went to the championship game. We all know that. But you guys struggled for for a period of time. You were four and six at one point and it looked pretty bleak. Uh, and then you got hot toward the end. The Jets are four and seven right now. Do you see any way where they can turn it around? Um, they can because they the there's peace there's things there. I think the number one thing that has to happen, um, they get they gotta get some guys back up front on the offensive line. You know, there's been too many changes up front on the offensive line. Uh they gotta get some continuity because if they can get some guys some guys back healthy that are more experienced, some of their better players on, on the offensive line back, then I think it'll unlock some things. I think it'll unlock Brees, Brees Hall, who's been struggling, you know, in these past few games because I always feel like this offense goes as Brees Hall goes. So if you can get the office, get some of these offensive linemen back, maybe you can unlock Brees Hall again, and that'll unlock some things uh, on offense. So I think that's got to be the key. I think the Jets are actually hoping that Makai Becton comes back uh, this week for Atlanta and that uh, Dwayne Brown, he was in uniform last week, but he did not play. He was a backup for the first time in his career, actually. Uh, first time in 17 years that he did not start a game. So that must have been weird. But he he is, uh, I think he'll be able to start this week. So they'll have to make some decisions there on that offensive line because you got Makai at left tackle, you got Dwayne Brown at left tackle. Is that, uh, as a guy who's moved around a lot in his career, how hard would it be for one of those guys to go to right tackle at this point in the year? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not the ideal situation. I would, you know, I would probably think, you know, Dwayne Brown would be the left tackle since he's played that his whole career. We've seen right, we've seen Mikhail Beckton play right tackle. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you got to get your best five out there. And so that's kind of like what my thinking is, Dwayne Brown at left, Mikhail right. Hopefully, get a, you know someone you know another body back at right guard, and then you have some semblance of a group that kind of started a year. So, you know that's to me is the key is just getting guys back, getting guys back healthy, and uh, hopefully getting the run game going. Because if you can get the run game going in this offense, I think it'll help out the quarterback, whoever the quarterback is. And I know it's Tim Boyle right now, but it'll help out the quarterback position. Well, you set me up for my next question. We're going right into the quarterback with Aaron Rodgers. He's talking about playing again. Um, he might be practicing, you know, shortly in a, in a week, maybe. Uh, coming off that Achilles, he's he's not even he's about ten weeks removed from surgery. I don't know if a lot of our listeners know this, but Damien, of course, you tore your Achilles in the 2010 playoffs. I think it was at uh, Indianapolis, if I'm not mistaken. So you, more than most people on this planet, know what it's like to come back from an Achilles injury. How hard is that? And what are your thoughts on Rodgers talking about playing again? Well, listen, it ended my career. Um, you know, this I, I I I tend to think it's the worst injury that you can have as a, as an athlete. Um, I know a lot of people talk about ACLs, but this Achilles, man, it's it's a tough injury to come back from now. I will say this, man. We're talking about over a decade, you know, over a decade since my injury. So the the you know the things that they, that they're able to do medically and from a rehab standpoint is obviously 
gotten a lot better. And I think, you know, with Aaron Rodgers' situation, uh, you know, the type of procedure that he had, I think it's called like a speed bridge technique mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, you know, that's going to, you know, that's that's helped this situation a lot more than it was for me. Um, because it's really, if you're doing it, the, the surgery that I had, it's like literally like a 12 months, a 12 month deal, um, at least. Um, but you know, now the, the, you know, from the medical side, it's gotten a lot better, but even, even myself, just, you know, looking and hearing all this talk about Aaron Rodgers possibly coming back when he tore his Achilles in September, I, I, I'm just, I'm still shocked, man, because it's still an Achilles. You know, it's still an Achilles regardless of, you know, what type of surgery you have. You still got to let the tendon heal. There's still steps that you got to take. So I'm skeptical, but I, I just, you know, I'm very interested to see if he can do it. Damien, when you tore yours in that playoff game, did you know, like right then, that it was going to, this of course happened later in your career. Did you know that that was the end for you? Or did you start rehabbing your Achilles with the thought of coming back? Rich, I probably, I'm pro- like 90% sure that that was probably it. I did rehab um, for a little while. Remember, that was a year of the um, the lockout. Uh, we had, you know, the CBA had expired and we were locked out. So I was kind of rehabbing, on, you know, with my own team of people. And uh, it just came to a point of Rich where I'm just like, I'm done. I played 12 years. This injury is no joke. And it's just time for me to spend more time, you know, spend more time with the family. Um, so I don't wish that injury on anyone. It's a very grueling injury to rehab from. Um, but listen, Aaron Rodgers is is a, is a different cat. He has his plan. He's aggressive about it. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm interested to see if he can do it. No, it's been a while since you had it. But do you recall where you were at about the 10-week to 12-week mark, uh, were you able, Were you still in a boot? Were you uh, walking around like Aaron? Or, like, where were you like, at that? Yeah, so, Rich, so here's the thing. So, you were in a cast. You were in a cast, I believe, for, like, 8 to 10 weeks. So, there was no, there was no rehabbing or, you know, doing different things. You were literally in a cast for like the first two months or whatever it was. So Aaron Rodgers was never in the cast. He was rehabbing like almost right away. That's the difference between when I tore my Achilles and Aaron Rodgers, you know, going through his rehab. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like you said, the, the technology has advanced so far that it's really incredible. I mean, we've all seen the videos of him on the field throwing the ball 50 yards. Um, but it is different from throwing the ball in, in warmups and standing behind an angry pass rush, you know, that that wants to sack you and being able to get away. So that's, you know, we have to be able to protect yourself and and move. And and so that's what I'm really curious. Personally, I don't I don't think it would be a smart move for the Jets to let him play. W- what's your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not a I think it's about 2024. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. what, what is that approved by having Aaron Rodgers play right now? I know, you know, the Jets technically are eliminated, but I think they have, according to our model, have like a 1% or less than 1% chance of making a postseason. So this thing is bigger than 2023. It's about next year. So why even why even chance it and go out there and possibly do damage behind, you know, a very suspect and injured offensive line? Start thinking about 20, getting yourself ready for 2024. 
Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Damien, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate it for the listeners. Damien, of course, is all across ESPN. You can see him all the time on the different platforms. He does a great job with his analysis, insightful stuff. Damien, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, Rich, thanks for having me on. All right, we've got the mailbag. Thank you so much for uh, sending them in. I promised to pick six this week in honor of the Jets and Dolphins, two pick sixes in that game. And the first question from at Joe Mordecai. Players are being held accountable, and he mentioned Zach Wilson, Alan Lazard, C.J. Uzama, and Michael Carter. Will there ever be a coach-slash-play caller held accountable? How can the owner sit back with all his money invested into a season Watch this product and not hold anybody accountable. Fair question, Joe. Uh, obviously, you're referring to Nathaniel Hackett, and we know why he's not being held accountable. Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's got immunity. He's got, like, lifetime immunity. I think they should do something. I would let Todd Downing call some plays. And, heck, for all we know, maybe he is. They're sitting right next to each other in the booth now. Maybe Downing is calling some plays. The Jets say no, that it's still Hackett. But you're absolutely right. There should be some accountability, although I will highly doubt you would see that during the season. At Brian Sternback, have you any sense of why the Jets are sticking with Tim Boyle over going to Trevor Simeon? The only thing I can think of is the injury concern with Simeon. And Brian, it's a simply a matter of the Jets staff feeling more comfortable, more familiar with Tim Boyle. Now, I know you may not want to believe it, but he does know the offense. He's been in this system for three years under Hackett. Trevor Simeon just arrived in, in late September, so he's still learning the system. Granted, Simeon has more starting experience than Boyle, a lot more, as a matter of fact. And I asked Robert Sala after uh, one of the games, I said, you know, why not go to Simeon? And he goes, I'm not there yet. The, the fact of the matter is, while you may not think Boyle is very good, I can tell you that this coaching staff simply has a much lesser regard for Trevor Simeon. So I think you're going to see Boyle uh, for the foreseeable future. At Matt Romano 19, do you see the Jets using their eventual high first-round draft pick on a player that brings immediate help rather than a quarterback of the future? Matt, right now the Jets are at the number eight pick and and sinking or or rising, depending on how you want to look at it. They are not going to take a quarterback in the first round in the 24 draft. Not with Aaron Rodgers on the roster. They are a win-now team with a very small window, and so they know that. They recognize that. They're going to be all in on 24. They would not be getting any uh, return on the investment if they draft a quarterback in the first round. And for Rodgers, it'll probably seem like deja vu with the Jordan Love situation in Green Bay. Now... If the Jets somehow end up with the first or second pick and then you have a shot to get Caleb Williams or Drake May, then I think they would consider it. But if they're if they're outside of those two guys, they are not taking an offensive lineman. They will draft an offensive tackle. And they uh, you know, that kid from Penn State looks like the uh, the number one choice in this year's draft. At Cronin, who cares? What about play calling against Kansas City? Wasn't that the best of the year? And why aren't we seeing more plays like those? And he mentions uh, using motion and play action. A really good question, Dan. I went back and checked. Uh, they they used motion 
in the Kansas City game on 40% of their snaps. Now, since then, they've only approached, they've only hit 40% in two other games. Actually, the following week against Denver, they hit 65% motion. And then against the Giants, they were at 45% of the plays had some form of motion. But since that Giant game, on the la- in the last four games, not much motion at all. They haven't gone over 31%. In the last game against Miami, they were down at 25%. It's a really good point. Now, in the Miami game, I could see it. Maybe they didn't want to uh, just overburden Tim Boyle with a lot of that stuff. But you're right. They seem to be functioning better when they were using motion. Next one from at way out there, 18. Do you think Bryce Huff or Mekhi Becton gets tagged? Huff is going to demand a lot more money, and to me it makes more sense to tag him and yet to sign Becton to a cheaper deal. Uh, I do not foresee Mekhi Becton going back to the Jets in any form next year. They're not going to tag him, I can tell you that much, and I'd be really surprised if they signed him unless it was a one-year prove-it deal. Uh, Mekhi Becton is just not the Jets' cup of tea. I, I think this coaching staff would like to move on. And to be quite honest, I think Mekhi Becton would like to move on as well, get a fresh start somewhere else. Bryce Hub is going to be really interesting. That's going to be a big number to tag him. I do not think they will. He is still not a full-time player, and to tag him, uh, you you know you're looking at over fifteen to twenty million dollars for a franchise tag for an edge rusher. I think they will make a stronger effort to sign him before he hits free agency. And the last one of our pick six uh, from at Jay Kofsky, Rich, is there any possibility that Douglas, Sala, or Hackett gets fired by the end of the year, or does Rogers liking them just mean we're going to run it back next year? Uh, Jeremy, I think. That is going to be the case. I think they're probably going to run it back with those three guys. I certainly do not see any one of them getting fired before the end of the year. That is simply not the M.O. of the Johnson family. Now, if this season really goes off the rails and they only end up with four or five wins, could I see changes then? Well, then, yes, that's a different story. I do think, though, they should get at least two or three more wins and everyone will be safe. So right now, I would say safe on all those three. Okay, the Jets are home again on Sunday. They face the 5-6 and six Atlanta Falcons, the first-place Atlanta Falcons in the dreadful NFC South. So obviously a very important game for them. Uh you know, I don't think they're a very good team. They've had only one win against a team that has a winning record, and that was Houston at six and well, currently at six and five. Atlanta's defense started off well, but they've been leaking some serious oil. They've allowed uh, 350 yards in each of the last four games. Desmond Ritter is back at quarterback. He's a turnover machine. He's got 18 turnovers. So you're going to see Desmond Ritter against Tim Boyle. This is not a sexy quarterback matchup. It's not a sexy matchup, period, and I think this is going to be quite telling. The Jets have actually had a really good home schedule this year, a lot of a lot of good teams coming in. This is not one of them, and you're going to see a lot of empty seats at MedLife on Sunday, depending on the weather, but I think you're going to see empty seats. And that's always a message to ownership. You know, when you have a bad team and a, a half-empty stadium, that is a loud message to ownership and usually not a good one 
And so I'm curious to see about that. I cannot pick the Jets to win this game. Uh, anybody who picks the Jets to win, I mean, yeah, this is probably the easiest opponent they're going to face the rest of the year. But how can you pick a team that can't cross midfield until the fourth quarter? I mean, a team that, uh, you know, first downs are accomplishments. Third down conversions are like rare commodities. So, no, I cannot pick the Jets in this game. This is going to be another ugly football game. But Atlanta, which has a couple of decent players, I want to see Bijan Robertson, the running back. But sorry, folks, I got Atlanta in this game, and I'm not even going to pick a score. It's going to be something ugly to something ugly. Let's put it that way. And probably killing any chance of any of Aaron Rodgers trying to make a comeback because the Jets would drop to four and eight, and that would put them on the verge of playoff elimination. I want to thank our guest this week, Damian Woody, for stopping by. Really good insights on the current situation and a fun little trip down memory lane that was very enjoyable. Thanks, of course, to producer Jeff Scopin, and we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck.